AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Oftentimes when people die, we erect a lasting tribute to their memory. It could be a headstone in a graveyard, or a small shrine in our home, or even a statue in a park. Every person, famous or not, affects the world around them for better or for worse. And those who've left their mark deserve to be remembered. But sometimes we don't get it right the first time, and the way we honor someone we lost needs a do-over. It started with a mob, but not an angry mob, an inspired one. The people of Boonesboro, Maryland had all congregated on July 4th of 1827 in the town square with one job, to build a monument. Two years earlier, the Maryland General Assembly had voted to fund the project with money earned through the state's lottery program. Many initiatives were given budgets that way, with players buying tickets printed with numbers on them just as they do today. The structure was to be made of stone and rise to the sky, like a finger pointing toward the heavens. The people chose a perfect spot for their creation in the nearby woods and got to work. All day, they gathered stones and stacked them, creating a base measuring 54 feet in circumference. On top of that sat a tower, 15 feet tall. Halfway through the day, a local reverend delivered an impassioned speech to keep the builders motivated. It must have worked, too, because they had finished 50% of the tower by 4 p.m., With the day's work complete, someone stood up and read the Declaration of Independence to the crowd. Three veterans of the Revolutionary War then fired their rifles in salute. It was a day of celebration, but the rest of the tower would have to wait until a few months later, as most of the workmen were going to be busy until then. Everyone returned in September and construction was finally completed. By the time it was done, the Boonesboro Tower measured 30 feet high a testament not just to the man they were honoring, but to their patriotism and work ethic as well. According to William Bell, a journalist with the town's Torchlight newspaper, Boonesboro citizens were filled with a spirit of zeal and ardor, so much so that it didn't matter that the tower wasn't precise in its measurements or particularly good-looking. It was sturdy and made with the best of intentions. Bell went on to write, We do not calculate that when finished, it will give this town immortal glory, but we do sincerely hope that it will be the means of stirring up the fading gratitude of the people. Unfortunately, that gratitude didn't last long. The tower had been built with dry-laid stone, meaning it lacked mortar to bind the masonry together. The monument was mostly destroyed by the time the Civil War had begun. Union soldiers used the small portion remaining as a signal station after Confederate troops severed their telegraph lines. Someone would stand on top of the tower's ruins and wave flags in different formations to convey secret messages to their allies. 
It wouldn't be restored until 1882, when a local organization raised the funds necessary to fix it up. But they did more than repair it. They upgraded it. The structure now boasted whitewashed walls and a lookout tower on top that was made of steel. Sadly, it wasn't enough to keep the monument from falling into disrepair yet again. A little over 20 years later, the tower suffered from a lightning strike so severe that half of it turned to rubble. A rumor began to circulate around town that a father had used dynamite to blow up the monument because his daughters kept meeting boys there behind his back. A second restoration commenced in the 1930s, just over 100 years after the structure was first built. The land was then bought by a local historical society and turned into a state park in 1934. As for the monument itself, it was rebuilt with cement and mortar, designed to look like it did after it was first completed in 1927. Just a whole lot stronger. But why was so much money and effort spent on preserving this one stone structure? Why was it so important? Because it was built in 1927 to honor the United States' first president, George Washington. Which means that the Boonesboro Tower was the first ever Washington Monument. Built five decades earlier than the gleaming white obelisk in Washington, D.C. that everyone knows today. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Does sleeping hot keep you up at night? Meet the Lisa Chill Collection. These cooling mattresses work like magic with a cool-to-the-touch cover, zoned springs, and comfy foam layers. Say goodbye to restless nights and wake up refreshed. Lisa's Chill Mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers that whisk away heat, so you always sleep just right. These hybrids blend up to 1,032 breathable springs and plush foams for the ultimate cooling and comfort. And the Chill Collection doesn't just feel great, it looks great, too with thoughtful design and pillowy quilt tops. No matter your budget, Lisa has a chill mattress for you. For a limited time, save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash iHeart. With Lisa, your purchase has purpose. Every year, Lisa donates thousands of mattresses to those in need. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com.
Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. The sun glared overhead as the two gunslingers stepped into the road, poised to fire at each other. It was hot with barely a breeze as crowds watched with bated breath for the battle to begin. It was noon in Palisade, Nevada, and the locals were about to do what they did best. Perform. If you visit Palisade today, there isn't much there. The town was in Eureka County in northeastern Nevada. Like so many towns in the western frontier, though, it was formulated, plotted, and raised by the railroad companies that control large portions of westward expansion, Central Pacific Railroad to be specific. The possibility of a railroad that connected the east and the west coasts was proposed in the 1840s. Not one to let those pesky things like treaties and territorial rights stand in their way, railroad executives began petitioning Congress. That august body refused to sanction the plan for several years until the Railroad Act of 1862 finally put full government support behind the Transcontinental Railroad. The Central Pacific Railroad Company of California would meet the newly created Union Pacific Railroad in the middle of the country. Construction began in 1863 using poor labor practices and underpaid labor, largely immigrants from China and Ireland. The government and railroad companies sat down and, in conjunction with the Homestead Act of 1862, plotted out where railroad stations would be and the towns that would surround them. So many towns were raised on the frontier, and all of them were a gamble. It was a question of risk and reward. Would this little community succeed or die in the face of all that hostile environment, the tough land and crippling economic conditions that would be thrown at them? The cycle of boom and bust was kickstarted by gold fever in the 1840s. Towns seemed to rise and fall overnight as news of gold spread across the largely unexplored western frontier. Settlers looking for a better life quickly established new towns, and then railroads moved in. Which brings us back to Palisade. It was founded in 1868 to be a stop on the Central Pacific Railroad, which would help bring people to and from Nevada and transport the wealth from the nearby silver mines. As the town grew, and as more people began traveling to San Francisco or Chicago, Palisade became a convenient rest stop. And then, a funny thing started to happen. Slowly but surely, stories started to trickle back east from letters sent by loved ones, columns in newspapers, and telegrams of the bizarre experiences the Wild West had to offer. As the West grew thick with settlers and railroads became more common, so did stories of bank robberies, train thefts, and outlaws who seemed to be roaming the territories by the dozen. These stories took on a whole new life with the creation of the dime store novel in the 1860s. These novels were, in a word, lurid. They over-exaggerated stories of cowboys, explorers, and bandits, and with the increase in literacy after the Civil War, the books flew off the shelves. Soon, it wasn't just settlers and their families heading west. There were tourists going to visit friends and family members out there, hoping to see some of the excitement. They'd been promised cowboys and gunfights and wolves and lawlessness, but they weren't getting any of that. And it turned out the Wild West wasn't nearly as wild as visitors had been led to believe. The people of Palisade noticed the grumbles of discontent by those stepping off the trains at their station and complaining at lunch in their restaurants. As you might imagine, no one wanted to lose the revenue that was brought in by the travelers. And while they were pretty sure that people weren't going to stop coming, no one wanted to test that theory. So the locals came up with a plan to give them exactly what they wanted. In the early 1870s, when visitors rolled into Palisade, they could expect to see lawmen and outlaws having shootouts. 
watching bodies hit the floor, seeing daring escapes from bank robberies and anything else that could sate their morbid curiosity. It was a pretty impressive operation, made even more so because the whole town was in on it. They used blanks during gun battles, animal blood from the slaughterhouse for their grisly death scenes, and even worked with the local native peoples to perform raids. All of this law and order hoopla and Palisade didn't even have their own sheriff. Over the course of these reenactments, there were more people killed in Palisade than actually lived there, and none of the travelers noticed that they were never targeted by these ruthless outlaws. These performances went on for three years and entertained thousands with the drama that tourists expected to see. Slowly, fewer and fewer people passed through Palisade, and like so many other boom towns on the western frontier, it became a ghost town not long after the railroad closed in the 1930s. After that, the buildings disappeared, and all that was left was the land. No more was ever heard from Palisade and their outlaws. Well, except for a local legend about an attempt to assassinate President Hoover with dynamite in 1932. But friends, I think that's a curious story for another time. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.